Hey guys, this is Mike Mahaffey, the old bastard BJJ guy, here for BJJ Mental Models. Back in my day, we had to walk uphill in the snow both ways to get to the academy just to learn some crappy technique from a random purple belt. You kids have it so easy, because now you can just subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium and get tons of great audio courses to learn new techniques, enhance your mindset, and entertain yourself. You can even get personalized rolling reviews from some of your favorite BJJ Mental Models coaches, including me. It's like having your own seminar, you spoiled little whippersnappers. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium right now, get off my lawn, and go train. Hey, welcome to BJJ Mental Models, episode 187. I'm Steve Kwan. BJJ Mental Models is your guide to a conceptual and intelligent jiu-jitsu approach. And if I sound a little bit different today, it's because I'm in COVID quarantine because I can't be around my wife and kid. I tested positive. They have not tested positive yet, so I'm, I'm missing them. But hey, that gives me an opportunity to talk to the listeners and talk to cool people like my guest today, Mr. Ryan Hurst. How are you doing, Ryan? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Sorry to hear about your COVID. I went through that too. So, you know, I know what it's like having to be in quarantine. Just, uh, man, not fun, is it? Well, I'm catching up on a lot of video games. I mean, that's, I guess, the <laughs> the one benefit, but everything else has kind of been on the shelf. You know, I yeah. haven't been able to see my, my family. Just been so busy that I, well, actually not busy. It's been kind of the opposite. I've been trying to recover and rest and just get my energy back. For me, that's been the big symptom is just kind of a general. Yeah, that's it, man. Yeah. yeah, my energy level has just been in the floor. So I'm hoping that it's going to come back pretty soon. But man, I, I am pretty hyped about this conversation. I've been wanting to have you on for a while, Ryan. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. You're, you're most welcome. Now, with that said, why don't I turn this over to you and maybe give yourself and GMB a quick introduction? Yeah, sure. GMB Fitness, we've been around for... For over 10 years now online, wasn't just something that we decided to do during the COVID thing. We've actually, how we started was basically online. We were one of the few, if maybe not the first online fitness companies in our realm, if you will. A little background about myself. I grew up in the United States, uh, gymnastics from a very young age, competed until I actually finished high school. When I was in junior high, I got into martial art as well. So I would go to my gymnastics practice and then immediately after go to my martial art practice. That led me to Japan. And I actually came to Japan for college university as an exchange student. I stayed, came over for martial art actually. So it was in judo and kendo. I actually lived with my instructor, which is called Uchideshi. And then after graduating, moved to Osaka, which I'm still here in Osaka. I've been here in Osaka for over 25 years. Ended up working at a shrine inside of a shrine here in Osaka at their martial arts complex. Worked there for eight years. At that time, I had the opportunity to not only continue to practice my judo and my kendo, but as well, I got to sit in on all of the other martial art classes, help to interpret for the instructors there. It was really great to be able to do that. Continued with that, but at that time, I was also very involved with the fitness side of things. And so, got it. Involved with organization within the United States, ended up becoming their program designer, you know, head coach, if you will, for them and designing the programs. And then during that time, actually, I met my current two business partners, Andy and Jarlo. We decided to start our own company called GMB Fitness. What actually started with GMB Fitness was that I was heavily involved in 
competition in judo. And so during one of my, actually my last judo matches, I was thrown and I had my shoulder torn out. And so I had to have reconstructive surgery. And at the time, I was about 31 years old, realized that I can't continue doing this, got to change up the way I do things. And we realized that, you know, there's probably a lot of people out there who would prefer to train in a different manner. And so that kind of led us to create GMB Fitness. I uh, started off with gymnastic rings because that was something I was very familiar with, of course, growing up, you know, being a gymnast. But we aren't gymnasts. We're looking at helping people to be able to move their body in a way that's going to be beneficial for them for the activities that they're involved with, whether that be, for example, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, whether it be stand-up paddling, or simply just playing with their kids as they get older. We're not trying to do more exercise. We're actually trying to figure out exactly what's good for you that's going to allow you to, just like I said, be able to enjoy whatever you're doing better for longer periods of time in terms of looking at the long run and longevity. So it's kind of it in a nutshell. So much more to say there, but you know, GMB Fitness basically looking at using your body rather than using weights or things like that and being able to Again, find what's good for you. That's amazing. Thanks for the intro. And it's something that I think hits home probably for most of our listeners. I know it certainly does for me. I mean, since the pandemic started, a lot of the options that I would have previously had to get exercise have kind of vanished. So I have uh, spent a lot more time and attention on what kind of workouts I can reasonably do from home. Yes. Uh, concerned that <laughs> didn't really exist pre-pandemic when I could just go train whenever I wanted to. Right. And I've discovered that there are a lot of restrictions <laughs> around what kind of exercises you can do from home. You know, not everyone has the space and safety and living requirements where they can just build a gym in their house. There's absolutely, yeah, there's things I never thought of. Like, you know, am I accidentally going to kill my cat trying to do this <laughs> exercise? The kinds of problems that never occurred to me before the pandemic. But now I realize if you want to set up equipment at home, all of these things have to come into play. And so I'm always interested in programs that don't require a lot of equipment that can be done solo, that can be done without a lot of space that aren't going to lead to a noise complaint or that kind of thing because you're banging stuff up and down. So really awesome. And your program, GMB, when I pinged our Discord and asked for people in the SNC space who would be good to talk to, everyone said, you got to talk to Ryan from GMB. <laughs> and you're actually in our Discord too. So you probably saw that message. <laughs> I am. I actually am. Yes. Yeah. And so I was like, holy crap, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, just what you said. And so I, I will say, you know, going through COVID, it was very interesting to see all of a sudden you know, everybody decided to go online and create their own online program for training at home. And I'm going to be honest, there was a lot of crappy advice out there. And I'm saying this simply because I like to try and stay in my wheelhouse, if you will. And so sometimes people giving out some advice where they shouldn't be giving out advice kind of, kind of gets at me. I, I hold my, hold my voice. I, you know, I don't really get into it, but I don't want people to get injured. And unfortunately, sometimes we see that because uh, you got to be careful, especially if you're doing something like you said in your house, uh, looking at, 
what's around you. And that is a big thing that we always say, don't kill your cat. That's important. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting you bring that up because I think that ties nicely into what we were planning to talk about today, which is just this problem in jujitsu, especially of maintaining, managing and working on improving your range of motion. Yes. An issue that every grappler under the sun deals with at some point, because regardless of whether you come into the sport already flexible or not, flexibility is going to help you tremendously in jujitsu, not just from a performance standpoint, uh, but also from a prevention and a maintenance standpoint. Absolutely. Yeah, having a good range of motion is one of the best ways that you can reduce your likelihood of injury and something that uh, you probably know I'm passionate about. We've talked about on the podcast quite a bit. There's a lot of very preventable injuries that happen yes. in jujitsu. And I think a lot of it just comes down to we're never really taught how to train smart or safely. We're just taught to go in there and fight. And, you know, the idea is after a few years, you're going to put it all together, but you might rack up some gnarly <laughs> yeah. know, bone breaks or joint tears or something first. So yeah, with all of that said, what I'd love to do is explore this with you here today and just get your opinion on this. I know that Jujiteros love the GMB program, so maybe tell me a little bit about this and how your system fits in for grapplers who are working on improving and maintaining their range of motion. Yeah, sure, man. Would love to. So, so you know, I've been doing BJJ for quite a while now, and I just absolutely fell in love with it. You know, judo is my was my thing. And I'm going to be honest, you know, any martial art can be hard on the body, judo especially. But it amazed me when I got into BJJ that a lot of the times that the way it's being taught in terms of, let's say, for example, the warm-ups, let's say, here, just do this movement, just try it, you know, you just got to do it for years until you finally understand what's going on. Just something didn't resonate with me in terms of that. And what I'm getting at here is I do believe that if a person understands their body better and understands not just what they can do, but what they can't do, they can then work to improve their movement. And by improving that range of motion, by improving your strength in terms of your body weight strength and knowing Again, where you are with your strength, where you aren't with your strength, improving your flexibility, and more importantly, your control, which are the three components of GMB, strength, flexibility, and control. I think that we could have a better experience. The majority of people, let's just be honest, we're not out there competing at the highest level. The majority of us out there, hobbyists, okay? We have jobs. We need to make sure that we can continue to support our families or whatever that's going on out there. And so when we go to practice, if we're going in there, you know, balls to the wall every single time going hard, but we don't have the range of motion so that let's say, heaven forbid, we're stacked. Someone stacks us as they're trying to pass us. We end up hurting our neck, end up getting lower back discomfort due to the fact that we don't have this range of motion. Also, we're not comfortable in that position. Therefore, we brace, therefore making it worse because then we hold our breath. Then that loaded pressure puts us into a compromised position. We're going to mess things up. It's not going to allow us, one, to enjoy BJJ. And it's also not going to allow us to continue and it could lead to injury. So what I'm after really and what we're trying to do is simply help people to be able to get more comfortable being in multiple ranges of motion and do that unloaded 
in other words, without someone trying to crush us and understand how to do that well so that when we go in there, we do know, okay, this is what my body can do. This is what I'm capable of. So when we do go to our instructors and they teach us these techniques, when we do drill, when we do go in there and we spar, when we roll, we might not be the best and that doesn't matter. It's we have the understanding to know what we can do so that we can do it safely. And it's not just for ourselves, but also for our partners. Because let's be honest, if you freak out when you're rolling, there's a good chance you're going to hurt your partner. And that's not good either. So I think that really what we're after is having this true physical autonomy in knowing, again, what your body can do, what it can't do, being comfortable in these different positions so that when you go into practice that you can do it in a safe manner and continue to do it for as long as you possibly can. Yeah, that's a really interesting point that never occurred to me before, which is that in jujitsu, you don't always have control over your own range of motion. If you're doing... Absolutely. Yeah, if you're doing solo stretches, for example, you can go to your comfort level. And it's up to you as to whether you want to stretch beyond that or not. Whereas in jiu-jitsu, it is very much up to your opponent to decide how elongated and stretched out your or collapsed your body's going to get. You know, if your opponent, like you said, decides to just stack you on your neck, yeah. you may not have a lot of say in the matter in terms of, okay, your buddy, you're taking me beyond my comfort zone because right. at that point it's already happened. Now, there's a conversation that can be had, of course, about how to communicate better with partners and not be a danger training partner. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But in addition to that, there are the preventative actions that we can take on our own so that if that contingency does happen and you do get stacked on your neck, you're more likely to have a good outcome versus someone who hasn't been taking care of themselves in that manner. That's right. And to go even like even to simplify this even more, let's say like we're just looking at frames and levers. Okay. And so let's say that someone is, you know, they're coming towards you and they're starting to pass your guard. And let's say they're going for like a leg drag or something. And you put that arm out to frame against them. This might sound silly, but if you're not used to having load on your arms in that way, there's a possibility that over time you could actually injure your shoulder. And this is something that people don't actually think about. Even just posting your arm on the floor in order to create a better base. If let's say you're like your uh, butterfly guard player or something, you post that arm out and someone comes into you to start to pass your guard and you have your arm out to frame. I've seen people hurt their shoulders that way simply because they, one, don't have the range of motion. And the other thing, they don't know how to engage the ground properly. And I'm talking maybe like a white belt or someone like that. And so, therefore, they say, oh, you know what? BJJ is just so rough. I can't do it. I'm going to quit. And I think that's unfortunate. Another thing with that, I mean, whole other topic is maybe somebody rushing into to rolling too quickly before they're actually prepared and have an understanding of the concepts of BJJ and also that communication with your partner. Again, a completely different topic, but I'm just really looking at how can we go into the situation and truly know and have the confidence in our bodies first of being able to move well. And I think if we can look at it that way, and this is something you can totally train, eh, you know, especially by yourself, you know, and not need machines and weights and things like that. Simply have a better understanding of how your body moves and can you get into certain positions comfortably. And knowing that is going to allow you to therefore then start to work to be able to get better and apply your techniques and the concepts that are necessary for when you're actually drilling and practicing BJJ. 
Yeah, I love that you bring up the importance of things like framing and basing properly, because to your point, this is not something that jujitsu people tend to talk about a lot. They'll, yeah, they'll yeah. tell you to do it. They'll yeah. tell you, get your base, get your frames, but they won't tell you what the difference is. How to do it. Yeah, yeah. They won't yeah. tell you what a good frame is versus a bad one. And exactly. I remember back to my white belt days where I would be trying to frame in the dumbest way possible, basically <laughs> by just outstretching my arms like a zombie. Yes. Yeah. And that, that seems like an intuitive thing to do when you're a beginner, but not yeah. only is it ineffective, you know, we always talk about how you should never stick your arms out because you're going to get armbarred. Right. There's more to it than that, though. It's just not always a good way to support your opponent's weight. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If your opponent is barreling down towards you and you outstretch your arm toward them, man, that's a lot of force being held up by what is basically a stick. Yeah. Yeah, if you're not careful, you can put a lot of load and a lot of torque on either your wrist or your elbow yeah, or your shoulder yeah. or all of the above. And especially in an art that is as dynamic and fast moving as jujitsu has the potential to be, you can definitely injure yourself if you don't know how to position your arms and your, your legs and even your neck safely. Yeah, and exactly. And I mean, even looking at just like if you're on bottom and side control and you try and frame with your with your hand on their waist and your wrist is bent and they happen to just slam down and try and pressure past you there or something and your elbows on the floor, look, you're going to get wrist locked, you know, and possibly, you know, injure your wrist. I mean, it's silly, but it's like a whole other topic I realize, you know, Rob Bernanke is, I love him and he talks about frames and levers and I just love those concepts. And it's just, for me, I totally geek out on that sort of thing because it's the anatomy of the body and looking at being efficient and what the body can actually do. And again, coming back to what we were talking about, the better you know how your body moves and how, again, it can move and where you have limitations, you're going to be able to work on getting better at improving that and hopefully not putting yourself in that position. And so this is really what comes down to our program with elements is, again, it's not specifically for BJJ, but when we're looking at the four principal movements that we use, which are the bear, monkey, frogger, and crab, and we can break those down. Basically, you're looking at, can you comfortably get into a position without one, pain, and then looking at your in-range of motion and working to improve that strength, flexibility, and control. And you mentioned the dynamic of BJJ. It's a fast-paced thing. And even though, let's be honest, you know, with your partner, you can have good communication and say, hey, man, I want to go light today. We know how that goes, you know, <laughs> you know. And so, you know, you need to be able to say, all right, am I going to be able to protect myself? That's the first and foremost thing that we're after. And then, of course, you need to look at, can I protect my partner? And so I'm very lucky at where I train, where I've always trained. It's a place called Akatsuki. It's not a... It's not a gym. It's a collective of people we get together and train together. And I'm very lucky because we've, I think we've got seven black belts now, if that's right. And so I wouldn't call it an open map, but what it is, is uh, we get together and we say, all right, everybody, what is the one specific thing we want to train today? And then we drill the crap out of it. And then when we spar if you will we actually don't go full on we we actually look at you know situational sparring and things like that but there's always that communication factor in us saying all right let's say maybe uh my lower back is a little sore today so today i'm only going to work on this position or or something like that so what i'm getting at is that it comes down to also being able to auto regulate your body and so when you're going to your brazilian jiu-jitsu practice 
of saying, okay, what do I need today in order to not only be good for myself, but for my partner? Because if you can't be at a level where your partner needs you to be, then I personally think sometimes that's on you for not communicating that and actually you hurting yourself by putting yourself into that position. I do know the dynamics are different based on each gym, but I've had the opportunity pre-COVID <laughs> to travel a lot. Each month, I would typically go to a different place in the world to go teach a seminar, and I would always go to a different BJJ gym. And it always blew me away. The dynamics are so different. But the one thing you do find is that when people roll, it just completely changes the game. And you never know. You never know what that person is going to do. And so again, it comes back down to being very comfortable in your own skin and knowing what you can do so that when, excuse me for saying a cuss word, the shit hits the fan, you're able to protect yourself and not you know, compromise yourself, if you will. Absolutely. Now, that is as good a segue as any here, because I got to talk about these animals of yours. <laughs> you talked about the elements program, and this was something that had been brought up to me about the GMB program. You've got the bear, the monkey, the frog, and the crab. And like you said, now, I love me some animals. I mean, if you follow <laughs> jujitsu internet memes, you know that we love our lions and tigers and bears yeah, and yeah. wolves and stuff. So tell me about the backstory here. What are these these motions and why animal names? Like, what's the significance of the the animal theme here? Yeah, so this is actually goes all the way back to my to my early early judo days. So okay, let me just start it this way. So I'm not a fan of the BJJ warm-ups. So again, I mentioned, you know, I would go to different gyms and it was like, hey, let's do our warm-up. Let's start off by running and we're going to do a bunch of push-ups and sit-ups and all the stuff that personally I don't think fits and I'll explain that in a little bit. But basically, the way that I look at things is use movements that are going to prepare you for the movements that you're going to be doing. And so this is a big principle that we have in GMB. And so we have what's called the five P's. And this is how we lay out our sessions. And so we start off with a prep. You can look at it as a warm up, but our prep is looking at preparing the joints for the specific thing that you're going to practice that day. And practice is number two. We take a look at a specific movement and we practice that movement. The third component is play. This is something that the majority of fitness places out there don't have in their session. A lot of them don't even have practice, to be honest. But play is where you're actually exploring a position. You're exploring a movement, but you're using a movement that you've already practiced and you're very comfortable with. And so what you're doing is you're looking at trying to go a little bit outside of that box, kind of challenge yourself in a way that you haven't done before with the movement that you practiced. The fourth component is push. This is where the majority of people live. This is where it's a higher intensity and it can be thought of maybe as your workout in that session. And so this is literally where you push yourself. And so I can break down those protocols and stuff there, but I'm going to use the animal movements to do that here in a second. And the final thing is prep. Now, actually, the way that we set this up is kind of like from our martial art background. So it should be familiar for those of you in that you prepare yourself for what you're going to be doing that day. You practice by learning a new technique. Then you actually play by drilling a technique and trying new things that you maybe not have 
done before, that you haven't done before. Then the push portion would be actually sparring, rolling, whatever you want to call it, randori, depending on where you're from. Then the prep portion of that is where you look back at the session and you say, all right, how did that go? What went well? What could have I done better? What do I need to do for my next session? Now, taking a look at these four animal movements that we have in our elements program, we start off by always assessing where we're at. We assess, for example, and we'll perform a movement that looks like a downward facing dog in yoga. But here's the key component and why it's different is that we're not trying to put ourselves into a position. What we're trying to do is simply get into a position and see where we're at that day. So we get, we push our butt up into the air. We have our hands on the floor, our feet on the floor, hands and feet shoulder width apart, butt pushes up into the air. And all we're doing is we're saying, okay, what's going on in my body today? And you say, oh man, my hamstrings are really tight today. Or maybe my shoulders or a shoulder is a little sore yesterday. You know, this guy put me in a really good, you know, kimura and I'm kind of feeling that today. And the thing is, you're just bringing awareness to what's going on in that position. And the cool thing about this is no judgment, no nothing. You're just trying to bring that awareness so you know where you're at that day. And then you can start putting that into motion. And putting that into motion is where you take that A-frame position, one hand forward, one foot forward, one hand forward, one foot forward, and that's the bear walk. What this is doing now is we're looking at the strength, flexibility, and control portion of this. I know it sounds like a super simple movement, but the thing is, is this is our basic foundational position that we're after in order to teach us to drive the hips higher up into the air in order to help us to further improve flexibility, whether it be in our ankles, hamstrings, shoulder range of motion, also looking at our wrists. We're also looking at lumbar, what's going on with a pelvic tilt. Do we have an anterior pelvic tilt? Maybe more of a posterior pelvic tilt. Thing is, is that really doesn't matter. It's just how do we feel when we're doing this movement? Then there are variations of this. For example, in order to further work on strength component of it, we can bend our arms slightly. This is the bent arm bear. I know, very original name. But basically what we're after with this is looking at more of the load. We're front loading the body. And by bending the arms and keeping the elbows pulled in tight, we're actually creating a good frame for our body. The base now that we have ourselves in is solid. We're moving around. And so what this is teaching us is how our lower body communicates with our upper body through the use of proper core activation. Are we able to continue to keep the elbows in? How are we placing our hands on the floor? When we load the front body, what's going on with our feet? We can then start to drop the hips towards the floor, going into different positions. For example, the twisting bear, which is basically where... I teach us rotational positions. Similar to, for example, let's say you do a knee slice. You go through, you perform that knee cut. You start to get into kisagatami, the scarf hold. It's very similar to a position like this. But what we're doing is, again, not BJJ. We're looking at movements. Can our body comfortably maneuver through space? And when we're doing this, what is going on in our body? This is addressing the situation. This is the second thing that we're after and where we apply that. So we have the AAA framework. You assess the situation. You address what's going on, and then you apply the necessary protocols that you need that day. And that's just looking at the bear. We do the same thing with monkey. The monkey starts off with a squat. How low can you get into a squat? What's going on with your hips? What's going on with your ankles? Again, there is no good or bad. It's simply where you are that day. And what do you need to focus on? 
might be that you can't squat down very much and that could be due to a lack of range of motion in the ankles. It could be a hip issue. And the thing is, is then you can say, all right, what do I need to work on in order to improve the range of motion? And maybe improve my leg strength. Maybe that's something you're lacking. And so you can use the monkey, which is a lateral movement where you're in the squat. You place your hands on the floor to the side. You load your arms, having them straight. You make sure that you're pushing down and away from the ground. You lift your hips and you hop yourself over. So this can also be very applicable to different techniques. And again, this isn't a technique for BJJ. It's simply looking at movements that can aid and giving you a better understanding of not only how techniques work and the concepts behind them, but how you can apply this as solo drills, if you will, in order to better help you move and improve your strength or flexibility and your control. Next one off is we have Frogger. The Frogger is also a squat, but we're further loading with the hands on the ground in front. So we have the knees slightly off of the ground when we're doing this. It activates the core more. What it does is it teaches us, again, rotational strength because we can do a leg thread, which is where we take the leg through. Again, something similar to maybe where we're doing a knee cut pass or maybe where we're going from a headquarters and we're doing maybe, for example, a leg weave. And so we need to twist our body while we have our hands on our opponent, in this case on the ground because we don't have an opponent. But what it does is it teaches us spatial awareness, where our body is in space, how we're going to move. Do we feel any discomfort? Do we notice anything that's going on in our wrists, our elbows, or whatnot? Are we making sure to keep our arms in a particular position, the goal of that day? Again, we're doing this in motion, so it's not just about seeing how many repetitions we can do as well. It's how well you can do each and every movement. That's what we're after. I like to say, make it pretty. I don't care how many repetitions you can do. I want you to do one single attempt. I don't like to say rep, an attempt of that movement and see how beautifully you can do that and then try to do it again. And the more beautifully you can do that, that means you're going to have control over that movement. That means that you're going to be working towards having mastery of that movement. By the way, mastery doesn't mean that you do it and it's done. It's just like anything, you know, when you learn how to do, again, let's say like a leg drag or a leg weave, as you progress through the ranks, you know, as you work towards black belt, you're only going to refine that movement and it's only going to be getting better. And this is the same that we're after with these basic movements, if you will. The final movement is a crab. And this is where we're sitting on the ground, hands, feet, shoulder width apart. Our hands are beside us. We lift our hips up into the air so that our chest is facing upward. We've seen this before, the basic crab walk. And what we're doing is, in this case, looking at how we can open up the front line of the body. This is the opposite position of doing a squat. So rather than hinging at the hips all the time and squatting, we're now able to open things up. We can do this with one arm so it moves more towards a three-point bridge. This is looking at us, how are we moving in space comfortably, safely, doing it in a manner where we're in control and we know exactly what our bodies can do. Again, so that when we go and we start to put this into motion where someone is trying to put us in a pretzel, we feel more comfortable. Again, I'm not saying that these movements are used in BJJ, but what it's going to do is give us better spatial awareness, better physical autonomy, so that it's going to allow us to see things that we might not have seen in particular techniques and concepts in BJJ that will allow us to just continue and get better. 
So that's an amazing explanation of these four positions. And I think that if I want to tie this all back to a big idea, something that you talked about, which I think is really important, is the importance of doing these repetitions with intention yes, and trying to do the perfect rep. And this is something that as a non-athlete hobbyist, I really struggled with, and I am only starting to figure out Right now, I would say, you know, pushing 40, uh, I probably wasted a lot of my earlier athletic years by not really training intentionally Mm. because I didn't understand what that meant. As an example, I would say that the way that most people in jiu-jitsu quote-unquote warm up, you know, like you said, I also disparage the standard jiu-jitsu warm up pretty intensely because it really doesn't have anything to do with the training that your students are going to be doing that day. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, And not just that. But there's no encouragement to the students to learn anything from that training. You're just, you know, I would say that for the vast majority of people who do jujitsu warmups, when they invest that 10 or 15 minutes at the beginning of class, they're not there training intentionally and trying to do the best jumping jack they possibly can. They're just there to get it done and get it over with so they can get to the fun stuff. And I would actually argue that you are, as the student, reverse incentivized to do a good job on the warm-up. I agree. Yeah, because you're not there to warm-up. You're there to have fun and do jujitsu. And if you burn all of your energy during the warm-up, you're not going to have fun during jujitsu. So most people, I would say, have a negative incentive to participate and try hard and do good in the warm-up. They're just there to get it over with. And I mean, this is where you get that whole meme about purple belts not even even showing up. It's, oh, yeah, man. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, we love to disparage purple belts, but if we're being honest, I don't blame them, right? That's the most useless yeah. part of the class. So why would no, they show I up? Totally agree. And to go even further, sorry to interrupt you. So there's a, here's another thing to think about in terms of if you go in there and you're cranking out push-ups and sit-ups and doing all these things, what you're doing is you're taxing your body to the point where you're getting tired. And then when you start to learn a technique, you're actually not going to be fresh to have the capacity capacity to be able to do that because again it's it, it's just it's crazy to me so to take another example okay so let's say that we're looking at uh one of our other programs is called integral strength and this is where we're looking at uh for example getting really strong but also looking at looking at our endurance strength so we'll, we're doing things for example you'll have you have chin-ups in there you'll have for example different kinds of push-ups you're going to have single leg squats you're going to have jumps you're going to have things in there imagine burning yourself out and then trying to do a new movement that you've never seen before you've never done it before but you're tired and you're trying to do this thing you're not going to be able to do it well And the thing is, is because you're not going to be able to do it well, you're going to get frustrated. You're not going to understand what's happening in that movement. It's only going to lead to more frustration and you're not going to be able to get better at it in the long run. And so this is why I'm adamant about let's stop doing these warm ups by, by trying to crush ourselves before we actually learn technique. It just to me, sorry, that's my soapbox. It just doesn't make sense to me, you know? So. Well, it's not just you, man. I've had the same thing. And I have had one of those crazy jujitsu instructors who does things the, the <laughs> wrong way where they try to kill you during the warm up. I remember I used to train with this guy and he was just the most stereotypical, like macho alpha bro you can imagine. And he thought as the coach that his job during the warm up was to basically kill all of the students. <sighs> so I, I remember these ridiculous warm ups. They were like, 30 minutes long and the idea would be that you would like run full force across the room 
then pick someone up and hit them with a takedown as hard as oh, you could, Jesus. then run full force the other way and do it again to a different person and go back and forth. And then part of the warm up was full contact sparring. And then if the intensity wasn't if you nice, were, that sounds fun. And, and not just that, <laughs> but if the intensity wasn't high enough, he would actually throw someone else in there. So now it's two oh on God. one during your warm up. Like this guy's warm ups were more intense than most people's tournaments. Dude, that's crazy. Yeah, incidentally, in my mind, he was probably the worst jujitsu instructor I've ever had. <laughs> so, and yeah, that kind of stuff, not only does that lead to failure to learn, because your brain is not in learning mode, your brain is in survival mode at that point, but also it leads to dramatically higher risk of injuries. And for what, really, right? You're not even getting good training at that point in time. You're not learning. No, you're right. You're basically getting like competitive rounds in class, which is the worst time to be putting those kinds of miles on your body. Absolutely. And to actually get back to your original question i apologize because i really took the the long way around answering this question is why these animal movements and that is this is actually when i first started off in judo this is what my judo instructors were having us do and i was very lucky i've had just some of the best coaches around because they got it you know and so what it was is the warm-ups had to be movements that were applicable in terms of teaching better body awareness and getting you prepared for what you're going to be doing that day. So we would do things like these bear walks, bear crawls. Uh, you know, of course, we would have, you know, the shrimping up and down the mat and things like that. But the thing is, is they were actually looking at movements that could be, let's say, related to what you're doing. Again, I'm not saying that there's specific techniques. And, you know, I do know people can get a little up in arms and like, oh, shrimping actually is not a good thing. Okay, whatever. But in terms of teaching the body to move better, I think movements like that are more beneficial than just simply trying to crank out push-ups where, I'm going to be honest, most people don't know how to do proper push-ups and end up actually doing more harm than good. And so we would do these bear walks. We would do, there's so many different animal movements that we do, but this is pretty commonplace here in Japan. And so again, I was lucky. I actually trained at a couple of places. So I was at that shrine, of course, that I mentioned. I was there for eight years, but I would also go to two other places to train. I got the opportunity. I was on the police the police judo team, not as a police officer, but as a civilian, obviously. I was on the police team here. And then I also had the opportunity to train at a place within Osaka Castle, which is called Shudokan, which is basically, you know, you have to be a black belt to train there. And it's basically an open mat for just these amazing guys. And I would go there and they would just beat the crap out of me every single time. But I remember the warm-ups were to get you prepared for what's going to be going on that day. And I loved it. And so that, that played a huge part in the way that I look at things as well. You know, it's, it's making me so jealous here listening to your life story. I mean, when I go to jujitsu, I train in a, converted renovated warehouse next to a tim hortons which is a coffee shop here in vancouver you're training at like these japanese shrines with like it's just, yeah it's but just, i mean you know don't don't think it's like this you know i mean this is just how it is here in japan you know it's one of those things and and also it depends on where you go sorry to interrupt you again but you know like where i train now is very different i don't actually go to I mean, I do go to a, a martial arts hall, but that's a very common thing here in Japan. So let's say like the gymnasiums that they have over here also includes 
you know, tatami mats for judo, really nice hardwood floors for a kendo or maybe karate if that's what you're doing. And so you just rent that place out and that's where our group trains. And so every Saturday we all get together and we go there and, and it's great. But the thing is, is, you know, I do know that, you know, it doesn't matter where you train, to be perfectly honest. My thing has always been how you train and who you train with. I don't, you know, I have had the opportunities to train like at the Kodokan here in Osaka, as well as in Tokyo in judo and train with literally some of the best guys in the world. I'm not saying that I'm at that level at all. I'm not. Okay. I am black belt in judo. I've been doing it for a very long time, but nowhere near any of that. I've been thrown and beat up by these people. But the cool thing is, is though some of the people that I've had the opportunity, I think are the best instructors aren't actually some of the top guys. It's some of the people who have actually taken the time to be able to look and break things down and say, okay, this is the concept of this. Or, for example, just spending the time training, you know, with me, like when I was a white belt or, you know, coming up through the ranks. And so, again, you know, sometimes the best person in the world isn't necessarily the best teacher, to be honest. So. Yeah, that's that's so important. And I have definitely had similar experiences where the who is often more important than the how. And it, the who yeah. who's going to help you is not always the person who on paper has the best resume. You know, yeah. you could be yeah. you could be training with jiu-jitsu world champions who just suck at <laughs> teaching you specifically or maybe they just suck at teaching in general. But on the other hand, I mean, I've trained with blue belts, purple belts who do an amazing job teaching. Yeah. Um, and yeah. some Sometimes I get more out of them than I do out of the people who have the resumes on paper just yeah. because yeah. their particular style and what they're trying to do, it resonates better with me. And maybe they have the lessons that I'm looking for. Whereas, you know, just because someone's a world champion or, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're a world champion at teaching the kind of stuff that you need to learn. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's a very good point that you bring up there. And I think also it comes down to fitness as well. And so there's some fabulous, fabulous people out there. But, you know, just like me, I when I go teach a seminar, I love it because that's when I get to learn. And so I get to, you know, see these people and, and I've taught these movements so many years and I've taught the chin up, you know, or whatever, just thousands and thousands of times. But the cool thing is everybody has a different body and I can always learn and see something new from that. And I think if we're always able to look at it in that way, what can I learn in this moment? I think it's a good thing. And I always tell, you know, I always tell the people in GMB this too. You'll never have a bad session. You'll never have a bad practice if you learn something from it. And you can go in there and think, okay, I'm injured. My knee is beat up. I'm not going to be able to roll the way that I usually roll. Well, that doesn't matter to be perfectly honest. What can you learn from that? And what can you take then and apply that in order just to make yourself a little tiny bit better? And I think if you can do that, you'll never have a bad practice, a bad session or, or anything. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, sometimes injuries happen just as a fluke, but a yeah. lot of the time, especially at the more junior level, 
injuries happen because you moved your body in a way it wasn't supposed to be moved. So if the lesson to take away from that is don't move your body like that again, well, (laughs) you can take that lesson away and you can continue to train just by taking that movement out of your game. I mean, there's a lot of, especially at the junior level, compensation where people rely on athleticism or flexibility in lieu of technique. And if you do get injured, that can be an opportunity to start removing those dependencies on your game so that you're not sparring with your flexibility being your foremost attribute, but rather Absolutely. you focus on the technical side instead. And and which leads to another point, which is something that I talk about all the time is slow it down. Slow it down. And this is something that people have so much trouble with. It's difficult to slow down. I'm talking when you're drilling, when you're learning a new technique, when you're, you know, even when you're, you're sparring. Sometimes it's a matter of, okay, when do you need to be explosive and when you not need to be explosive? A lot of people are just explosive all the time and that's where shit happens, right? And so, okay, slow things down in order to bring better awareness to what you're doing. Get really, really good at what you're doing and doing it slow. It'll show you where you're lacking strength, flexibility, control, so that you can work on making that better. So then later when you speed it up, it's going to be great. And I think if we can look at it that way, it's just going to make us better overall. And I'm trying to look at doing less in terms of movement-wise, but go really deep into what we're doing so that we can have better understanding of that, that physical autonomy that I always keep coming back to. And the only way to have a good understanding of exactly how your body is moving is to slow down and bring awareness to what's going on. Yeah, I I feel that, man. This is a challenge that I had when I got into weightlifting when I was younger, is I used to basically just look at the metrics. Yeah. All, all I would care about is how much weight am I lifting and how many reps can I do? And I would just constantly be trying to push that number up and up and up, even at the expense of proper technique. Yeah. And yeah. so what wound up happening was I would be lifting wrong because that was the only way I could lift more. So I, I thought I was doing this great job because I was making the number go up, but really I was just like taxing my joints and my skeleton and I wasn't really lifting properly. I would have been better off if instead of trying to chase metrics and KPIs, you know, I focused on just doing the technique properly. And so much of that comes down to slowing it down. And I know how hard that is for people in jujitsu to do because (laughs) like, look, it's one thing if you're doing yoga by yourself and you have to slow it down. It's another thing if some homie is trying to choke you unconscious, right? It's very hard to slow yourself down when you're under attack. But that is such a critical skill to pull yourself out of that fight or flight mindset and focus on using your gym time to learn to move slow and intentional and deliberately instead. Yeah, man. It's, you know, coming back to when you're talking about like a bench press or something, if you even just look at push-ups and it's like, you know, somebody's like, yeah, I can do a hundred push-ups. I'm like, okay, how many of those do you actually do well? And they'll be like, well, my form starts breaking down at maybe like 20. I'm like, congratulations, you're basically training 80 crappy push-ups. And so what you're doing is you're training crappy form. And it's just that way. Let's Even if you're drilling, you know, and a lot of people just blow through that drill. They're like, okay, we're going to do 10 leg drags. And they're like, bah, 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 and like all of them look like crap, you know, and they, they miss out on the concepts of, you know, the base posture and looking at, you know, what they need to actually do in order to make that position be successful live and so you know the way that you train when you're drilling 
is not the way that it's going to happen when it's actually under load when you're rolling. We know this. And so you've got to make sure that when you're drilling that you slow it down and you know exactly what's going on. This is when you practice, right? And so then when you play with that movement and look at moving beyond, okay, if this guy moves in this way, what do I need to do in order to do this? That's where if you drill more and slow it down and do that, there's a higher possibility of you being able to pull that off when you're actually rolling. And so it's just the same way that we do and in, in train in GMB where we're practicing that movement and getting it so good that you can't do it incorrectly. And just doing one of those and just being like, I nailed that and then trying to nail it again. Then you play with that movement. What if I move my hands in this position? What if my feet are this? What if whatever, you know, and, and playing around with that. So you have such a good understanding of that movement that when you actually go and start pushing yourself and we do this under time for time, let's say that you do like a bear walk for a minute, you know, at a level where you're just really pushing your strength endurance and making, you know, the chassis better, if you will, so that you're increasing your lung capacity, further increasing your strength, flexibility, and control under load. It's going to be applicable for when you go back and apply it to whatever activity that you're doing in your life. Now, let me ask you something here that ties into that. We talked earlier about how a problem with the way that jujitsu people train range of motion is that they try to cram it into the warm-up. So yeah, yeah. honestly, most of the time, people look at it as a means to an end. They're not there to learn range of motion and to learn how to be flexible. They're there to endure the warm-up so they can get to the stuff they really want to do. It's like how, you know, my kid never wants to eat dinner. She wants to eat dessert. And so the, <laughs> the dinner is just a means to an end for her to get right, to the dessert, right? right? She'd skip the dinner if she could. And for a lot of people... I think they have the same problem when it comes to how they look at that warm up. So they're not yeah. there when they're doing their range of motion training to improve their range of motion. They're there to kill 10 minutes so they can get to the fun stuff. Right. And a lot of that, I would argue, is just purely psychological and probably has to do with the way that people frame things in their mind, right? They're, yeah. if, if not for the fact that dessert was on the table, they would be totally happy with their dinner. But because they know that dessert's coming, they want to skip dinner as fast as possible. And so my question for you is, is it even possible or productive to get good range of motion training in a jiu-jitsu class like that? I mean, are people always going to resent the range of motion training because they know it's in the way of their jiu-jitsu? And would they be better off if, rather than trying to cram these two things into one class, would they be better off taking range of motion classes completely separately from their jiu-jitsu? Yeah, my answer to that is jiu-jitsu classes is for jiu-jitsu, period. My feeling on this is that you simply need to be in a frame of mind and in a position with your body to be able to learn a technique and then try to apply that within the class. I don't feel that Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu class is there for conditioning and I don't feel that it should be used for trying to improve your range of motion. Now, what I do feel is that your conditioning, your flexibility and mobility work should be done outside of class. I think that's very important. And the reason for that is for one, what you said, it's you're wasting time. Let's just be honest. Let's say that the typical class is an hour. I, I don't know, but let's say it's an hour, okay? You're paying money to go and learn Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Be prepared so that when the class starts, you can go. So that you show up a little bit earlier, you do a prep warm-up that's specific for you so that you're ready to go for that class. I personally think that's 
That's how we should be looking at this. The trouble is the majority of people don't know what to do. That's kind of where I come in. And that is, okay, let's take a look. And let's say if you have 15 minutes outside of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu class, okay, this is what you can do. And literally, that's all you need is 15 minutes, okay? I'm not trying to say like 15 minutes and rock hard abs. I'm not saying that. I'm saying if you only had 15 minutes, you can still improve your range of motion, you know? But the thing is, is it's consistency. It's like anything. If you go to class and you learn a triangle setup and you learn it once and then three months down the road, that comes back up in class. You're never going to be able to do it, okay? It's a matter of being consistent and doing something in a way and figuring out how you can be consistent. This is the most important thing. It's not doing more. It's about taking a look at exactly what you need and just doing that and then continuing to do it. So, for example, this is where our elements or one of our you know mobility program can come in where you can literally select inside the platform 15 minutes Here's exactly what you do today and you just do it. And by doing it, you're going to improve your range of motion. And that's an important thing. So there's no guesswork. That's what we don't want. You're assessing what you need. You then address the situation. And then the application of that is you go through that program. Now, by doing that, again, it comes back to the fact that even if there are warm-ups in your Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu class, for one, you're going to actually be better at performing those warm-ups, which means that your gas tank is going to be bigger. It means that you're going to have the ability and the capability to be able to do that so you're not gassed for when you actually start drilling. Plus, the other thing too is your frame of mind is going to change because you understand that, okay, this is just a part of what I have to go through in this class. But because I've been working outside of class, I also have the things that I need. And that's important because a lot of times the things that you do in the warm-ups in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, again, aren't the things that you need like addressing your tight hip flexors, addressing the lack of ankle mobility that you have, addressing your shoulder and things like that, which you have to address specifically. And again, that's where we can help out with GMB. Well, let me ask here then, because it sounds like there's a lot of stuff here, which is very actionable. But in terms of the first step, the first step is often the hardest. If you had a magic wand and you could make everyone in the jiu-jitsu community do just one thing <laughs> to improve yeah. their range of motion and yeah. optimize their training, what would you have them do? Absolutely. That's simple for me. I, I got to be honest. I mean, simple, but not easy. Okay. I would look at how well can you squat? Can you get, and I'm not talking like weighted squat. I'm talking a simple body weight squat. How well can you squat down to the floor and then get in and out of that position in as many different ways as possible? So for example, just squatting down, then let's say put your hand on the floor, sit on the floor, and then get back up into the squat. And let's say move forward, go forward without using your hands and then get back into a squat. Let's say from a squat, lie down on the ground and then get back into a squat. I think that by being able to do that sounds simple, right? But again, it's not easy. This alone is going to show you a lot of things like, oh my God, I thought I would be able to do that, but I can't do that. Okay, fine. That's cool. All right. Let's work on helping you to be able to do that. Because if you think about it, you're going through so many different ranges of motion, but using your hips 
when you're rolling, okay? It could be going from a side position. You're going to be going into mount. You're going to be rolling, getting up on your knees. You're going to maybe standing up. And there's so many different things happening. But I think that the better that we can improve our squat and getting in and out of that squat, the more things that we're going to be hitting in our body, like the ankles, like the hips, lower back, as well as using our hands on the floor, similar to when we're posting and things like that, that in itself can be a great thing. And as a matter of fact, I just posted a video yesterday, which is called Walk Into Squat on our YouTube channel. And it's Walk Into Squat with another movement that I call Around the World. I think that is that movement in itself. A lot of people look at that and they're like, oh, you know, that looks super easy. But like actually, actually spending time doing that thing. Oh, my God. It hits so many different places in your body. And that itself can be a fabulous warm up. Show up to, you know, your BJJ class just a couple minutes early to be able to practice that walk into squat and around the world. That could be good enough to warm you up for that day, to be honest. So anyway. It's funny. I remember the first time I tried a uh, a goblet squat with a kettlebell. I'd never, <laughs> I've never used kettlebells before, and I saw the instructional for it. Like this is such an important movement to do. And yeah. I remember thinking, Dan John, yeah, yeah, th- this is like a grandma exercise. These kettlebells don't weigh anything. It's not going to be a problem, man. I couldn't walk for like a week after yeah, doing that. I couldn't believe what a workout I could get just with something that really maximizes your range of motion while you're lifting. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's crazy. And this is, again, coming back to the thing is I do think that, you know, strength as far as weighted strength, super beneficial. If you want to be like as strong as you possibly can, you got to lift weights. If you want to be as big as you possibly can, you got to lift weights. But if it's a matter of being able to move better, then, well, I got to be honest, you got to learn how to move better. <laughs> it's like being able to get into a deep squat, being able to, you know, move around and roll around on the ground without another person is something you need to be able to do first. So that's why I recommend that. Amazing. Well, before we tie this up, Ryan, I mean, we covered quite a bit, pretty comprehensive chat, but was there anything you wanted to bring up here today that we didn't talk about so far? No, I mean, there's, I could talk forever, but I just, you know, want to bring it back to find out what you need. Find out what you need. And a lot of us don't. And so, you know, something you can do, just go check out GMB Fitness and first check out our YouTube channel. It's all free. I don't want you to buy anything until you actually try the stuff out and see if it's going to help you or not. And just go to the YouTube channel, check out some of the stuff that's on there and just say, hey, what do I need? And then slow it down. Slow things down. Bring awareness to what's going on in your body. I think that can be one of the most beneficial things you can do. Awesome. But let's say that someone checks out that YouTube channel (laughs) and they do want to take it to the next level with you here. How do they sign up for GMB? Yeah, just go to gmb.io and yeah, put your email in there and then I'm going to spam you forever. I'm just playing around. (laughs) The other thing I will say, if you ever have you, you know, if you're listening to this and you have a question, send an email to info at gmb.io and an actual real person is going to help you. So we have, I have a full staff of people that are here to help you with any question you have. And it's a real person, not just a call center located in Mumbai or somewhere. So yeah. A real person. Do those still exist? I tell you what, it's rare, <laughs> you know, but uh, 
Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, yeah, I will put links to all of that stuff in the show notes. So if anyone wants to quickly check out the YouTube channel or sign up or even email you, just go into the info section of the podcast, take a look at the notes, and there should be a link you can just tap or click to, to go right through. But thanks again for the plug. And I think, you know, hey, I think it's awesome that you don't want people to sign up and pay you out of the gate, but I sure as hell do. <laughs> so for, for everyone out there who wants more BJJ Mental Models, the best way to get that is premium.bjjmental.com mentalmodels.com. It's awesome. There's a free trial there. I highly recommend everyone check it out. We're trying to basically create the masterclass of jujitsu. There's a ton of services out there to get into the nitty gritty how of how to do things in jujitsu. We're not like that. This is not a video instructional database. It's basically a series of long form conversations with people who are frankly far smarter than me. So please do check it out. There's also our awesome community. And as well, if you're a member, we will do rolling footage for you. So send over your rolling clips and we'd be happy to break it down again that's premium.bjjmentalmodels.com really appreciate it if everyone checks that out and again there's a link to that in the show notes as well so with that said ryan thanks a lot man i thought this was a fantastic chat i really appreciated this thank you so much i appreciate it too and i hope you get better soon and and you know the rest of your family who does have covid hopefully they're going to be doing better soon too so <laughs> awesome well thanks a lot man i really appreciate it and of course to everyone listening to us as well appreciate you guys and girls as well and thanks so much for the time and attention talk to everybody next week 